time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details, the characters, the places, the things, the concepts from that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, and I'm also here with my Snoke biographer, Ross. Mac, great to be here today. Uh, great to be talking about uh, the Supreme Leader himself, long yes. live the Supreme Leader. We're going to talk about uh, the, the story say. of Snoke so far. Yes, because hopefully more to come one day. Uh, but Snoke's great. We love Snoke. You'll hear all about it in just a moment. But that's not all we're going to no, talk about. No, no. That wouldn't be enough, would it? No, no, no. no. We're going to dig into some uh, Star Wars technology. We're going to talk about the vibro blades a little yeah, bit. Yeah, those kind of humming, singing blades yeah. from the Mandalorian and others. Yes, And then we're going to cap it off with another Mandalorian nod. We're going to talk about the Rising Phoenix. What is it? We'll explore that together. We don't know. We might (laughs) find out. Listen ahead and you'll find out with us as we explore it. But you know what? There's no reason to dilly-dally. Let's just get right into it right after this. Snoke is powerful in the dark side of the Force, but he is no Sith. That thousand-year lineage, stretching from Darth Bane to the last Sith Lord, Darth Vader, was undone when Vader died, destroying his mentor, Darth Sidious. The fulfillment of an ancient prophecy foretold the end of the Sith, but it never predicted the end of darkness. So that's from the Last Jedi Visual Dictionary. I guess that none of that counts anymore, right? Well, no, I think it still counts. I mean, because let's be honest. So this is an interesting topic because always in movement the future is. So this is <laughs> always Snoke, the story so far. Yes, and this is a character who we have a fair amount of material for, yes. but it's all just what I'll call incidental. Like, none of it is really about him. He's essentially just a supporting character, so we don't really have 
any origin story. We don't really have a ton of details. Everything we can really understand from the character and their motivations is really just stuff we can imply from the films. I think something that you're seeing here, uh, in my opinion, is it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, how Lucasfilm used to always handle Yoda. Like, Yoda doesn't exist before episode one. I mean, of course he does. He's 900 years old, but you can't talk about him. You can't go to his origins. You can't go to his like. So Snoke has the same problem of like, we have basically have a hall of mirrors. What you saw in the movie and extrapolations of that character, how he behaves, how he acts a little bit beyond that. But like, where does he come from? What was his life before then? You know, um, how did people know about him? And, And was he a player on the galactic stage and all of this kind of stuff? Yeah, we're not allowed to tell you that story yet. That story that's a story for another time. Yes. Just like like how Maz got the lightsaber, that's a story for another time, aka maybe never. <laughs> maybe eventually though. So forever is a long time. So let's just frame it. Let's go in order of how we've known Snoke and then we'll yeah. sketch out the details as we go. Okay. So the first time we see Snoke is in episode 7, yes. right? Now, we only see Snoke here as a hologram, and we hear him as a voice, but we basically see him as this giant, right? We only see him when he's talking to Huxer Kylo Ren in his throne room. And Snoke is a mystery box wrapped in a mystery box. Right away, all we know is that he's in charge. He's this supreme leader. leader. We don't know, is he giant? Is he tiny? Is this his actual size? And I think one of the first things we saw as fans is, I can't remember if it was a leak or if it's just people took the trailer and like image enhanced it. Yeah. But I remember we had sort of like the sculpted mold Mm -hmm. of how his face is twisted and parts are missing and all of that. And I remember everyone went, what is he? Because we're like, well, maybe he's he's. Uh, maybe he's Anakin or Darth Sidious or, 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 and for the longest time it was, maybe he's Darth Bane. And I'm like, Darth Bane's like a mun. He's, that doesn't look like a, well, his face is all twisted up. So maybe he's, he's, he's also 18 feet tall. What's up with that? And for a long time, I mean, we didn't have any idea, right? So we have this character who is orchestrating things and, uh, you know, in charge. But beyond that, we know nothing. And then we go and we actually get to see him in person for the first time. Mm -hmm. Now, when we see him in person for the first time in The Last Jedi. Yes. Before that... Were you expecting what you got? So when you see Snoke, you know, the throne rope, uh, the doors open up to his throne room, got the red walls and all the gray, and he's dressed in these opulent gold colors. Right. You know, is that what you were expecting? No, and I think it was a, a pleasant surprise. So, I mean, let's just, his appearance in Force Awakens is very much the Emperor in Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Like, hey, there's a bigger bad than you thought. What about them? Eh, we'll get to in the sequel. Because, like, the only thing you really get about Snoke is, A, he's menacingly and powerful because mm-hmm. he's making all these guys run around and mm-hmm. he's apparently got a giant ego because now we know he's not actually 18 feet tall. Um, but one of the things I think that's always been present in Snoke, which was very more sinister when you meet him in person, is he's, like, bipolar. Like, he's got this manic, depressive kind of cycle to him where he's like, I did not expect you to do this! Well, my lord, we have them on a string. Oh, tell me more about that. That sounds like 
Sounds like a plan. Yeah, he drops the hammer quickly, right? Like he, well, it makes him very mercurial and hard to figure out because he's just got, well, he's got this streak of red hot white rage that just ripples out of him, and then he like almost like gathers it up and pulls it back in and like, but I'm actually a plotter. I'm actually about long range sinister plans. Yeah. Like, um, and so when you see him in this throne room, you're like, oh, you're, you're like like an emperor mm-hmm. like but not like not like the emperor who seemed to like <laughs> have throne rooms on multiple planets because well that's what people expect an emperor to do but I don't care about any of that stuff like no you're a guy who revels in being in the top look at that look at that shimmery like shimmer weave gold mm-hmm. opulent full robe. gold outfit gold slippers gold ring hand chosen individual guards this gargantuan room that is yeah. just for you a lot of wasted floor space and and red like a perfect blanketed red mm-hmm, mm-hmm. takes a lot to get those corners right yeah especially on a dome because mm-hmm. i mean and, and that's a window and you're like <laughs> i don't need to see out <laughs> so he he has this and 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 i think what i mean by sinister is from the word go in last jedi where we basically hear him having you know Chewed Hux out and force thrown him on the sh- on the on his star destroyer. He arrives and we basically see Hux leaving. Like, well, Principal's happy with me now, because <laughs> like Hux has saved his bacon, explained to the Supreme Leader what his plan was, yep. and the Supreme Leader is like, "We'll go with it." And then he looks <laughs> o- over at Kylo Ren. He's like, "You must be wondering, like, why do I keep him around?" I'm like, "Because." He's a beautiful little lap dog. I say jump. He begs me for to, to jump as high as possible. It's great. Yeah. Now you, on the other hand, boy. <laughs> and what I really love about this here is it's showing that us as the audience members, we understand that, uh, you know, uh, Snoke is manipulating Ben in the same way he's manipulating Hux. Yes. But because they both think they're the inner circle... Right. The last they Jedi, think they're the next in line. Yeah. The last Jedi frames that I think the best out of the three sequel films of like they're competing against each other. Like every time Huck sees him, he's giving him a snarl or a sneer. You know, at the end, he tries to kill him before he wakes up like those two are plotted against each other. And that is very purposefully done by Snoke. What yeah. I love about this first time we see Snoke sort of in the flesh is is when, you know, he gets under Kylo's skin and he gets up to sort of challenge him, just sort of quickly throws him away with that quick burst of lightning. Letting us know right off the bat that not only is he sinister, but he has the power to back that up too. You know, it's not like he is just some guy who has a lot of money or a big army and just happens to be in control. He hasn't manipulated his way to the top. He has powered his way to the top. It's what it seems like, right? Yeah. By, you know, managing the First Order. And so we have this character who's basically telling Kylo, hey, go out, prove to me you're not a little punk, prove to me you're on the dark side, and, you know, go out there and make it happen. And that's basically Snoke's whole arc is him challenging Kylo, him pushing Kylo to do things Kylo is uncomfortable with. Yeah, because the whole thing about it is, like, he he is constantly fighting, like... In the first movie, he kind of builds him up. It's like, ooh, the, the you know the master of the Knights of Ren. Like you're mm-hmm. you're pretty awesome. You can yeah. do this. Yeah. And then like he kills his dad, and I think all parties involved except Han Solo, actually no, including Han Solo, thought this is what Ben needs. <laughs> and yeah. like Han basically lets himself die because he's just trying to reconnect with his son. Ben basically goes like, 
yeah, now I'm real dark side. I've, I've the point of no return. And Stokes like, yeah, he's super duper dark side. Sure, we lost our killer base, but it was worth it. And then it's like, are you still, still pouty about this? <laughs> you killed your dad, and it split you in two. It wasn't supposed to split you. T- it was supposed to galvanize you into this perfect weapon. What the hell, man? <laughs> and this brings me to a really great moment of Snoke I want to talk about from uh, the comic books. Because sure. there are two instances of Snoke. Um, let's see. Both, all, that take place before we see him fil- in film. Correct. So chronologically, it's all beforehand. So first off, there is the Snoke one-shot that's part of the Age of Resistance line of villain comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can find that as an individual issue or it's part of a four-issue compendium. Uh, but basically, the Snoke issue is Snoke training uh, Kylo Ren after yes. he has already kind of uh, mastered the Knights of Ren and basically uh, become this kind of like second in command to Snoke, basically this right hand man to Snoke and they're training and basically uh, Snoke throws him kind of uses the force to drop him off a ledge over these sharp rocks and forces him to catch itself. And so we see that it's this, you know, vicious lesson and Kylo's able to catch himself using the force. And he asks Snoke, would you have, have stopped me you know if i if i wouldn't have been able to stop myself would you have saved me and he goes no i wouldn't skywalker certainly would have and this mm-hmm. leads into this whole bit where kylo going basically he's weak and snoke goes he's not weak and kylo goes well you know why do you talk about him like that with respect and snoke basically goes you know because he's earned it if i had your uncle by my side instead of you i would have ruled this galaxy a long time ago <laughs> and it's this great thing looking back on it now of course knowing that snoke is this puppet you know that we'll talk about as we go forward right. but it is this great little hidden thing in there too from a comic that came out before the rise of skywalker right um but i just we see in that issue the fact that snoke is uh, you know willing to let his apprentice die and then later on in that same comic, Snoke takes Kylo to Dagobah to have a, you know, a force vision in the cave yeah. uh, where he ends up, you know, fighting a vision of his uncle. And then Snoke asks him to kill his parents and uh, Kylo isn't able to do it. He kind of uses his force powers to just sort of like decimate the whole cave instead. Yeah. Uh, and it's really cool because it's this fun moment where we see Snoke trying to lead this manipulation tactic, you know, this manipulation campaign against this boy and Kylo, even though he wants to be there in the dark side, even though he's chosen that path in the moment, yeah, still fighting against it. Right. You know, it's like, whereas with Vader, you feel like he went to the dark side and for a long time there was no hope. And it wasn't until Forever either... Did he dominate his destiny. Yeah, even whether it was like Ahsoka started changing him back or it was Luke or whatever it was, right? The point is that with him, you felt like he was always too far gone for a long time. Whereas I think with Ben, cool. you know, we're, we, the whole time frame is shortened to a well, certain extent. I mean, like, a perfect example is that at the very, very end of Clone Wars, the mm-hmm. newest episodes, you see how Vader processes like Vader is acutely aware of his loss, mm-hmm. like what he has lost by becoming Vader and throwing away, casting mm-hmm. off Anakin Skywalker. But it, it isn't until like Empire or, or like that he goes... Maybe there's another way, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's like, just dead to the idea mm-hmm. he could be anything other than what he is. Mm-hmm. Whereas 
Kylo is desperately seeking that assurity in his life. Mm -hmm. He desperately wants to be Vader in the sense of like, you were just a, you know, a battle automaton running around the galaxy, ruling with power. And he's like, no, you are a really, really sad man in a robot suit, but you don't understand that kid (laughs) because you don't realize how much you are like your grandfather in the sense of like, your whole thing is you are consumed Mm -hmm. with regret. So with Snoke, he his job, he's essentially gaslighting. He's yeah. pushing that narrative onto Kylo. Now, we eventually learn, I know skipping ahead a little bit here, but it's not like the cat isn't out of the bag. We eventually learn that Snoke is some sort of manipulation, some sort of puppet of Palpatine. He's a product of Exegol, the, the Sith Eternal cult, whether yes. under the directions of the clone Sidious or separate from that. They create him yeah. and cast him out to the galaxy to to do the machinations yeah. of the will of the Sith. Yeah, and so we don't know necessarily hard and fast yet, is Palpatine literally controlling him like a puppet when he's talking to Ben? Right. Is he just an agent? You know, one of the things interesting about Snoke is he wears that black obsidian right. uh, ring taken from Mustafar, and it's like, well, maybe there's something there where... The Emperor is using that to con, con, you know, con, to connect with him or control him. Well, like you so said, there are all these possibilities of this lore that can be added on as we go. But right now, there isn't a lot there. Yeah, because in you know, in the opening scenes of Rise of the Skywalker, we're going through the the cloning vats of uh, Exegol, and that's when we see like two of them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's a whole pile of Snokes inside <laughs> of this vat. Yeah, right. So, you, so we don't have clarity on exactly what he he is is he a clone is he some part of a clone but all that stuff but i think the one thing we really get is like you said snoke is a puppet for sidious's will in the galaxy and it's just a matter of how tight are the strings on him is he Mm -hmm. under orders or is he an avatar Mm -hmm. of of sidious i think it's really important to understand well to talk about not necessarily understand because it's kind of obvious but it's important (laughs) to talk about like the whole plan of Sidious, right, through Snoke, ultimately comes down to a very fluid venture. We've talked about this before with, like, Order 66 yeah. and stuff, where we always believe, like, okay, Palpatine might have, like, milestones he's working towards. Right. But things are constantly, you know, constantly changing. The pieces are always moving. And so my kind of initial question when you think of this from a big picture standpoint is, okay, so does Palpatine want Ray or does he want to kill Ray? Yeah. Because Snoke has some confusing motivations there, and that's where I think it might be easier to say, well, if he's not a direct puppet, he's just more an agent. And he's trying to interpret what he thinks the best way to... Yeah, exactly. And because we see Palpatine is very willing to just kill Rey at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, but it's only because he's gotten his body back. You know, like, so it's just this kind of... Well, it's it's after he absorbs their energy and goes, oh, I'm not in just this broken frame. I can kind of of get back to business. Right. I can be back on top, baby. But, you know, I guess what I'm saying is because of the way it was written and produced and made, we don't know, you know, a whole lot about Snoke yet. But I think one day we will get some information there. We do have a little bit more prequel Snoke in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic. Right. And in that comic, 
we see that Snoke, uh, we see him in a little bit of a different outfit, which is kind of interesting. And we see him acting a little bit different towards Kylo. He's very um, sort of protecting and nurturing and loving. And he's giving him what he needs after he just went he, through this traumatic experience. He's coming off very much like Senator Palpatine was to yeah. Anakin of a, a mentor figure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is, you know, what we see kind of attracting Ben to him. And then it's not until Ben has fully committed to the dark side till after he's killed Ren and taken over the Knights of Ren yeah. uh, that s- the way the training that Snoke provides kind of changes you know drastically changes from what we've seen um, I really hope we get more I'd love to see more of Snoke training Kylo I think that would be a great well, I think it'd be the, I definitely want to see more because I definitely want to I guess Flesh out the backstory, because I think we both thought that by the end of episode nine, we'd be like having the Snoke book out, mm-hmm. like where they would unravel all of that. And I think Rise of Skywalker ended up giving us more of a curveball, like, no, no, what? Okay, now it's not just who is he? What is he? Mm-hmm. Like, because I think one of the things that's interesting is um, when we were reading books and stuff, there was uh, Bloodlines, mm-hmm. um, which is about like kind of Leia's sort of political self-destruction that leads to her becoming the general of the resistance. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things is like, Ben's like what? Seven or eight in that. No, he'd be like 23. No, it wasn't that far in the six years before force six awakens. Years? Right. And he's 29 in force six? awakens. Cause I remember him being more of like a kid talking to Han when he was being taken over to, to Luke's temple, or maybe I'm thinking of a flashback in it. There might be. Well, the point of the I matter don't remember is, remember if there's a flashback. Um, it's been a long time since I've read it. Oh well, definitely. Um, yeah. Leia and Han are yeah. aware of Snoke. Yeah, Snoke has been involved in their son, like observing their yes. son's life at an uncomfortably young age. No matter how you slice, yes, it. Um, I may be a little bit off on the age. So but... a lot of that is in there's so a little bit of that I think in Bloodline, and then I think there's some of that in the Force Awakens novel. Sure, where Leia talks about that a little bit, and then there's also in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic, I believe. A line that Kylo has the Snoke of, look what Master Luke has done to you. Like, yeah. referencing his physical features. Which, you know, once again, coming back to the different people writing the same story. The Snokes in the tank and uh, the Rise of Skywalker look exactly like the injured Snoke that we see. So, well, and the, but, you know. But again, that's where the mystery box is. Because it's like, well, maybe those are clones of him later on. Yeah. Maybe, maybe... Those are backup Snokes for the original Snoke who was damaged that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's possible. Because it's not like when Sidious gets back in his body, they repaired the Mace Windu damage to his face. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, so th- there's there's a lot there. But, like, one of the most fascinating things to me about Snoke is, is he a statesman? Like, he seems like someone who's on the galactic stage and mm-hmm. people know of him. Mm-hmm. And that no one was going, like, oh, he's a Sith leader. Like, no one was thinking he's like the avatar of darkness, the second coming, which makes me go, he's probably, it would be weird to me that he would even be the, the public face of the first order. Well, it does talk about in uh, the visual dictionary for episode eight, how Snoke is the leader and people know that he's the leader of the first order. Like they know the name, yeah. but people don't see him. Like, it's not like he's on propaganda. It's not like he's out making public speeches, but they know that there is a person named Snoke who leads the First Order. Yeah. Basically, that's what it kind of comes down to. Yeah, but like, like I said, there's lines in The Force Awakens of like, well, you know, before Snoke got to him. And I'm like, 
I get the feeling you have like like you had a bad dinner party with him at one point, <laughs> and they're like, I don't really want him hanging around our son. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah, he, Stoke was hanging around the school with some free candy. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think about that. I just think he's more more like like, hey kid, I can buy you some uh, booze. You want to get some booze? <laughs> booze your party? I'm cool like that. Got death sticks. I'm a cool adult. Your your parents wouldn't buy this for you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's super interesting, and um, and the the other thing I want to say about Snoke is brilliantly performed. Andy Serkis' oh, performance yeah. of him is so good. Mm-hmm. How he just ebbs and flows from this just sinister, spitting like mad dog, and this master craft like manipulator mm-hmm. like i love he could just go from like again moments where he's like telling ray of like yes you're he's basically giving the emperor speech from return <laughs> the jedi of like yeah. yes your rebel friends will be dying out there i have a i have a magnifying glass you know watch them die <laughs> yeah i want you to watch them die mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then when she resists i love he's like there it is that spit of hope like he's both Furious that she's still resisting him, but also enticed and excited by the challenge of it all. Yes, yes. The I guess the best way to put it is Snoke is living his best life. He does seem like he knows what he wants. He's a man who knows what he wants, right? Yeah. Everything's coming up his way. Like, even if it's not, he's like, I mean, his final line that you heard at the top of this is him going like, Oh, my boy, Ren, I've got him lock, stock, and barrel. You don't even know him like I do because I can see him reaching for his lightsaber and he's going to bring it right down on you. And, oh, I have a lightsaber next to me. Well, that's probably unrelated to, oh, God. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny you bring that up. Um, I forgot. I mentioned that comic earlier. Remember the in the the Snoke mini uh, one shot Um, when Kylo is having his force vision in the cave that scene sort of replays itself a little bit where Snoke is like, I see you holding your weapon, you know, cause it's visions of his parents there and Snoke wants them to strike him down. And oh. Kylo basically turns around and does all of his, uh, his movements, his attacks, lets all of his anger out on this tree that's in the cave and then blows it up to cover up the evidence of him not murdering the visions of his parents. So basically, damn it. So, so when Kylo Ren does that to Ray, he's like, I know this will work. It worked, it worked that one time. He knows it's, it's going to be a little effort. tricky because he's watching me, but I think I got this. Yeah. Can we talk about how Snoke's death is maybe one of my most OWTF moments in all of Star Wars? Yes, I think we can talk about that. Like that death, it it just cemented that movie and that scene and those characters, and it gave me hope for that entire well, trilogy. It's just that moment is such the... a great culmination of so, everything. So obviously that moment isn't the entire fulcrum of the schism that right. Last Jedi started. But like, I think that in a lot of ways you can look at that and it's like once that scene plays out of him being killed and the way they talked about Ray and all the stuff until the supremacy gets cut in half, I feel as all this, the lightsaber gets pulled through Snoke. Snoke's super dead. And then he falls over. And in case you weren't sure he was dead, here's his tongue lying out yeah. of his mouth. I yeah. want to make sure you know he is murdered. He's dead, dead. Um, that moment causes everyone in the theaters to go, where are we going? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. Where are we going with this? I don't know where we're going. And I think in many ways that was the schism. It's just the, the either that makes you go, 
oh, I don't know where we're going. This is exciting. What are we going to do? Yeah. Or you're going, no, where were we going? I signed up for another thing than this. He was supposed to be the emperor stand-in through the whole trilogy. I don't know where you're going or what you're doing. Yeah. So, like, it, it, I think you're right. If It is one of the most system-shocking scenes in all of Star Wars because we all thought he was the big bad throughout the rest yeah. of the movie. Luke needs to fight him, don't you know? Yeah, he has to. And then when he gets cut down, it's so, like, perfect that Kylo Ren, st- to be blunt, did what Sith had been talking about the entire time. He saw a moment of weakness in his master and a chance to kill him yep. and take his mantle, which is what yep. all Siths are supposed to mm-hmm. actively be doing. Mm-hmm. And it was so great to see kind of on film that, like, guess what, old man? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and he, he does it masterfully. And then there's, the you know, I think the what the, uh, the, the what's going on here is sold so well by, like, like, like he starts fighting the, the Praetorian guards and Ray gets up. And it's like, um, thank you, Noel, but what are we doing here? What I, I mean, I'm real excited. I'm not dead. And I was really... You had me going, but no, seriously, what uh, are you, are you on my side? I think we're friends now. Are we friends now? I think, I think we're friends. In. All right. Join me. Oh crap. We're not friends. Anyway, <laughs> it's, 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 it's just a, such a delightful thing. And I think the other thing about Snoke is the one thing I will challenge some people on Snoke is even at this point, he's very underdeveloped and it's an exciting territory for us to explore. But it does make, I think, that he didn't have the legs as the ultra villain to go all three movies. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, he was kind of a carbon copy, an echo mm-hmm. of so many things we saw with the Emperor, but was not the Emperor. He wasn't as menacing, as wise, as manipulative. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he's ruling over the remains of the Empire, not mm-hmm. the whole galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because of that, I think while a lot of people were like, well, Snoke would have been, Snoke should have been in the third movie. I'm like, look, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, we all have a few issues about, so Palpatine's alive and that's the main, oh, I mean, okay. Like there's some problematic stuff, but of course that's the Star Wars we have and that is what it is. But I also go, once Sidious is back on the stage, regardless of how you feel about whether that should or should not be. You gotta admit, he outclasses anything Snoke could have brought by a lot. Yeah. It having a, another old big bad replace Snoke mm-hmm. when you have Snoke's kind of momentous death here, and the whole purpose of his death was to have this pupil, you know, rise up and no yes. longer be subservient and be in charge. And then, you know, next movie, he's back to being subservient again. It's definitely disappointing and takes away a little bit from some of Snoke's death. But that I think it being Palpatine helps sell that a little bit in the sense of if Snoke didn't die, like Mm -hmm. if we had just kept going along the Primrose path into movie three and we have, you know, like, oh, great work, Kylo Ren. Now you must kill Rey. She is your dyad. She's the opposite of you. You got to kill her to win the big prize. What's the big prize? I don't know. The galaxy and stuff. I don't know. The point is, I've pretty much outlived my usefulness by being the big bad. And all you have left to do is to join with her and kill me. So it's so nice that that's not where it went. Yeah. And that at least that plays out with a different character, which at least helps it be... That Snoke has this great purpose of 
He is the obstacle that Kylo Ren gets over to prove himself as the evil man he wants to be. Yeah. So. Anytime you have an old, mysterious, powerful character, whether on the light or the dark side, I'm going to be interested. Yeah. I'm going to be sold on it. So you want to give me that mystery with a character like Snoke? I think it's great. I'd love to read more about Snoke. I'd love to read about his creation on Exegol. Yes. I'd love to read about, you know, did the Emperor have to train him? Like, uh, you know, IG-11 had to be trained to serve tea. Like, you know, how what was that process like? See, I get like? the feeling that he's like a Ventress. Yeah. Like, hey, you're a Sith and you get to learn lightning and we maybe even give you a cool lightsaber. Oh, but will you give you the mastery of the dark side? No, that's only for us. You're, yeah. you're like a you're like an associate member of the Sith, like a uh, like an Inquisitor. Well, yeah, same thing yeah. of like that 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 prestigious line of like Sith assassins. Like you're mm-hmm. like somewhere there, maybe 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 a little up above that, maybe like an upper crust version of that. <laughs> and we're gonna give you, you know, we're gonna give you lightning. I think mm-hmm. you're gonna like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I, yeah, I think the thing about, about Snoke is it's one of those things of, like, I think in the movies he's pitch perfect for what he needs to be as a vehicle for the drama. Mm-hmm. And he disappears out of the story exactly when he should. And I can't wait to learn more about him because he's a fascinating creature. And out of all the things that, like, restructured what we thought the first two movies are about in Rise of Skywalker, I think the biggest one is, oh, he's a clone. What is he? And, like, just dealing with the fact of, like, Snoke's got an even more interesting story than I thought he did. And I, I can't wait till we um, excavate that over the next couple of years. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll get something eventually. I mean, look, I love my girl Phasma, but she got her own book and a comic book series. It's inevitable. Snoke will get up a story. Darth Bane has two books, like, like three, I'm sorry, three books. (laughs) Like, like if they're mentioned, Especially in a movie, they will get their own spotlight somewhere in the like you know in the yeah. grand pantheon of Star Wars product somewhere along the road. Absolutely, they will. Uh, we've got a Snoke Black series. Mm-hmm. Got a couple Snoke uh, Funko Pops, mm-hmm. including the holographic one on the throne. Yeah. One of my favorites. Uh, we got a Snoke minifig along with the uh, Lego Star Destroyer set for the Last Jedi. That's true. Big fan of that set. Um, and I like he has the cloth robe. Yeah. I was going to say we never got a Snoke three and three quarter, but that's not true. We got one in the vintage collection, and then we got one that came with that BB-8 playset. Yeah, as I say, I think there was like a packet that came with it originally. Yeah. Ran. yeah, and that one was like a five POA, and then, yeah, there was a uh, vintage collection one. Yeah, so yeah. we've had a fair amount of Snoke merchandise. Well, it makes sense. I mean, he's, he's the most menacing figure in the first two movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's get a Snoke book, huh? I think we should. Let's make it happen. Can we make it happen? Has it happened yet? Has anyone heard that? Hold on. No. Oh. They're apparently doing this High Republic stuff, and so they're not looking at those books right now. Okay, okay, okay. We'll, we'll get we there. We got another Thrawn book. How about that? You want to be into that? <laughs> Can we get the history of Snoke told in season six of The Mandalorian? I mean, he's around. Eventually, yes. No, I mean, like... Well, who knows how old that dude is? Yeah, that's true. We, we know Exegol's been going since the end of Return of the Jedi. At least. So, like, yeah. One day we'll know. But until then, let's uh, let's go vibe on something else. I'm here. Yeah, let's do it. 
So the ironic thing about this was, for the opening of this segment, I wanted to go get the sound of a Viper Blade, but you can't hear it. It's actually subsonic. Wow. Yeah. One of a, many benefits. It's a stealth weapon. It's kind of the best. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about Vibro Blades and all their different forms. Oh, there's more than one form? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, we're going to nerd out on this. Okay, so, in the Star Wars universe, for no good reason at all... Um, <laughs> It's unlike our universe where not everyone runs around with guns. Plenty of people like to have weapons that are like melee weapons, hand blades, axes, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you know, you have a much more dangerous world because people are ready to stab you. But the problem is, don't I have this great armor built for blasters? How are they going to stab me? It's like, what if I told you it's not just a stick with a sharp edge? It's a vibroblade. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. It is because it vibrates at thousands of vibrations a second, which basically allows them to all be super duper micro saws, which means they can literally actively like a chainsaw saw through things. Sure. Sure. Almost imperceptibly as they cut you. Scary. Terrifying. Terrifying. Um, Vibroblades have been part of Star Wars since like the beginning. I think the first appearance of a vibroblade weapon if memory serves me correct is the um gaffy sticks i think some models of them have a vibration on that mm, that four-pointed head interesting okay because vibroblades are just the most common like melee weapons in the universe and they come as swords um so uh ah um talon card runs around with a vibro sword in yes. the legacy no novel, you know, the, all the um, heir to the empire stuff where he's, you know, a swashbuckling pirate with his cool sword, his <laughs> vibro cutlass. Um, we have definitely seen them in the sense that the um, Gamorrean guards, their axes are vibro axes. Mm -hmm. The um, uh, skiff guards have vibro um, spears, like the uh, glaives they have are vibro weapons. Um, in actual filmed canon, we don't really see them ever touch anything, like, ever. That's just not that's not what we're here for. If we're going to cut something through, we're going to use that lightsaber effect we have. Um, I'm just trying to rephrase my thoughts. There are tons of viral weapons in the movies, but I don't think you ever see one used. In Mandalorian... Oh, no, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. In the Mandalorian, like those Weequay that come after him yeah, and the child in say, that you tunnel. you see them hit Those are there. totally, yes. Yeah, uh, you see him hit things. I was thinking just literally the films. Oh, and I'm like, no, no. yeah, 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 yeah. No, in film, we don't, as far as my memory serves. Yeah. So the thing about it is it's just, it's, it's another way of sci-fi. You know, science fiction is all coming from Buck Rogers. And it's like, well, we could have guns that shoot bullets, but wouldn't it be cooler if they shoot lasers? It would be. It is, in fact. It, so our world instantly understands what a gun is, but the gun shoots <laughs> science fiction out of it instead uh -huh. of like something mm -hmm. we relate to. And that was what the weapons are for. And I think probably the place, and again, someday we're going to have to unpack this. I think the place where it got really established in canon and backwards, we all said, oh, those are all vibro weapons and they're an important part of Star Wars is West End Games Star Wars role playing game, which during the 80s was the only like new air quotes canon being developed in the dark times of the merchandising cycle. And if you're going to have a bunch of characters running around in the Star Wars universe and they can't all have lightsabers, 
well, you got to give them cool weapons. So vibro picks, vibro blades, vibro swords, vibro axes, double bladed vibro swords, all of that stuff is all running around Star Wars. You've got to give characters a way to be dangerous without giving everybody a lightsaber or a giant blaster, mm-hmm. right? Like you've got to have a melee aspect mm-hmm. that isn't a lightsaber. Yes. And so that's where these come in and they make it a ton of fun and it allows them to be dangerous mm-hmm. without being like, oh, well, they happen to have this knife that acts like a Magna Guard stick where it's <laughs> electrified and it can block a lightsaber and it can cut through, you know. You can always use the excuse so many different ways. Yes, exactly. So it's nice to have something else. And uh, as Mac is about to talk about, we really get to see them up and close and personal in The Mandalorian, which yeah. is kind of the first time that ever really happens. Because well, The Mandalorian is the the most ground level we've seen Star Wars in live action. So when he is, like I said, in uh, Chapter 2, he is walking through back with a child, like trying to get it back to his ship, the Razor's Crest. And he gets jumped by a bunch of guys and they're all attacking him from each side. They have some blasters. They've got some the weapons. You see him like break it off of his armor because it's a vibroblade, but that's Beskar. So yeah. it's better. Um, and we see some of this in some of the other just backwater seediness. You know, we see some of these um, uh, in the backgrounds of like the cantinas. Um, we see it in um, the cantina that's on um Navarine? What's Savarine? No, no, not Savarine. No, no. What's the volcanic planet that's like the main hub for the Bounty Hunters Guild in Mandalorian? I think it starts oh. with an, and Navarro. Oh, Navarro. Yeah. Navarro. Navarro. Yeah. Sorry, Savarine and Navarro just got mixed in my yeah, head into Navarine. All good. Navarine. Um. So, uh, we we see that again. The seedy, dirty people in in Star Wars like they like to see you get hurt. They like to stab you. And yes. the thing about it is this is one of the few things in Star Wars. Star Wars is what is often referred to as sci-fi fantasy. It is not really supposed to be grounded in what they call hard science fiction. It doesn't all make sense the way we know physics to work and all this kind of stuff. Uh, a friend <laughs> sent me a post about like, hey, man, did you see this? And it was talking about how like, you know, how Star Wars ships bank in in the world. Well, there's a whole sub-community of fans that are basically talking about, like, well, there's actually this material, this phlogaston sea of ether out there that they have to navigate through. Because one of the visual dictionaries called these things on the A-wings ethereal rudders, which means they're actually moving through something. It's not vacuum like our world. I'm like, or it looks cool. Shrug. I mean, I'm the nerd who also goes, I mean, that makes sense. We Is that canon? Can we say that's how it really works? But, like... The thing with vibroblades, it's one of those things that's based on real life. We have these types of um, things. If you've ever carved a turkey in the modern age, you've probably used a reciprocating blade, which is the same idea, huh. except make that go about what they call a high-frequency blade, which is that is vibrating at, again, thousands of vibrations in much smaller increments a second, cutting at the molecular level, not something you can just see it going back and forth. Um and in some very, very, very specialized industrial processes, we have creatures like this. Um, but you're not going to be running around with it in your pocket or anything like that. So you're telling me I can't go and buy a vibroblade at any corner drugstore? 
No, uh, maybe in a galaxy far, far away and a long time ago, you could. But yeah. uh, here in 2020 America, it's a little harder to come by. Fair enough. OK, now we also see it a few other times. We see in episode three, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have our Mandalorian character uh, goes against uh, Vizsla, uh, the character who is just so lovingly branded as a heavy infantry trooper. But uh, what they yeah. gave him a first name too, right? Was it Shea Vizsla? That sounds right. I think it was. Yeah, I didn't look this up beforehand yeah. for yeah. some reason, but I think that's, that's what it was. Uh, the Mandalorian portrayed by uh, John Favreau, you know, the one who challenges him and they get into a little knife fight there. And then also in the very first episode. Yeah, I know he's House Vizsla because he yeah. has the emblem on his armor, but at least by the time of the Black Series release, he's just heavy infantry. That's right. They didn't name him on the box. Yeah. Uh, and then in the very first episode, remember when the Mandalorian goes to that bar? Yeah. Uh, and he uh, there's that core in there and uh, that uh, that one guy whose uh, species I can't remember, the blue. like nicks his armor with a blade. Right, right. And you remember, he goes like, it, is that real Beskar? And you have to assume that that's a vibroblade. If you see any modern weapon, yeah. it's probably vibroblades. And the reason for that is because, again, in a world where plastisteel armor and stuff exists, it's the only way for melee weapons to be in a ballpark of, you know, um, blaster fire. Like, yeah. Um, and last but not least, it is just littered through every game experience because the most famous use of it, I think, is the Knights of the Old Republic games where they code it with a material called cortosis. And cortosis disrupts lightsabers because we also need an excuse for lightsabers to not cut through everything. Um, and you as a main character, before you become a Jedi, if you want to go melee, most vibro weapons are your general what you can do. Yeah. Um, so. Like I said, it's one of the things of, like we see with the Mandalorian, as you pull back to the, you know, the quote unquote real world. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're in Rogue One somewhere and I just don't know where. You're going to see them in the Caster Ender show because when you see the more ground level thing, this is a common tool Mm -hmm. out there in the Star Mm -hmm. Wars universe. Yeah, it is. And I hope to see more of it because it looks good on film. It does. It is something we haven't seen a ton of, so I'm always down for more. I've always wanted to see someone just take the blade and menacingly like press it against something and watch as just holding it against something starts cutting it through. Mac, I just was thinking, we see them in Solo. You were talking Where? about, do we see them on film? Yeah. The Dryden Voss's blades, I think, are... Oh, are, yeah. We his see them vibrate. Ones. And yes. then the sword Kira uses to kill him, I is think, is absolutely, also... You're we absolutely We totally spaced right. on those. Uh, and we love yeah, Solo. <laughs> we love it. Almost as much as we love from a certain point of view, which we could not find any jetpack references in to bring it up in this topic. Uh, but yeah, we still did. Yeah, no, we... we mm-hmm. Speaking of which, let's go into another piece of Mandalorian equipment or technique or equipment. Or something. Yeah. Right after this. you complete thank you when you have healed you will begin your drills until you know it it will not listen to your commands i understand so 
So, the rising phoenix. The question is, what is the rising phoenix? Tell me, Mac. I don't know. You don't know? So one of the interesting things is the rising phoenix, the term, comes from um, one of the later chapters of The Mandalorian, where basically in his need to escape the city on Navarro, he's basically given by the armorer a jetpack. Yes. It's time it's time for him to ascend the way he should as a yes. as a warrior. And she asks as you may have just heard, you know, are you trained in the Rising Phoenix? And he goes, "Yes." And <laughs> now it's sort of just a huge internet controversy of is the Rising Phoenix like you're trained in that piece of equipment or you're trained in the martial techniques to use said piece of equipment? All we know is the Rising Phoenix is how how the Mandalorians refer to their use yes. of jetpacks. Yes. It's their study of it. It's their... Right. Well, what I'm assuming, the way I like to well, again, do it is... Well, again, their study or their implementation. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's their unique fingerprints. Yes. And we don't know what that means. We don't know, is it the way they take off? Is it the way they control it? Is, is it, it a fighting style uh, based on uh, using it? Exactly. We truly don't know because besides this, we see Boba Fett use a jetpack a little bit. We see Jango Fett use a jetpack a little bit. And in live action Star Wars, that's it. We see a heck of a lot of jetpacks in animated. Sure. So we see the Super Commandos and we see the Clan Vizsla and Death Watch use them in the animated shows. And in Mandalorian, we earlier in this show yes. see a few of them using their jetpacks to yes, fight. Yes, yes. And we have, of course, non-Mandalorians, other types of jetpacks out there being used by mm-hmm. uh, you know Republic troopers, Dash uh, Rendar stuff. Yes, yes, Dash Rendar, of course. Who can forget Dash Rendar? Yeah, because if you've ever played Shadows of the Empire and you've had to do Gal Spaceport, yep. you're infinitely, infamously familiar with a hover yes, pack, like absolutely. a jet pack. Why isn't there a Dash Rendar Black Series figure? Uh, if they can make a Jaina Solo, we can get there. That's what I'm saying. Um, so the thing that's interesting about the jetpacks is it's an iconic part of the Mandalorian kit. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since it was uh, the drawings of the Imperial Super Commandos by Joe Johnston concept art for Empire, they've had these jetpacks. It's one of their signature things. And it took a long time for us to see them because in Return of the Jedi, we see it used for like all of like 30 seconds. Like, yeah. Boba Fett goes over, gets hit, smacks against something, jetpacks off. Yeah, it doesn't last long. He doesn't look like he's been trained in the Rising Phoenix. <laughs> it just seems like he has one. Well, the Rising Phoenix probably doesn't train you for what happens if someone bumps you with a pole. No, I think maybe the actual Mando art of the Rising Phoenix is like, like, well, what happens if I get hit with a pole? You block that. <laughs> you never get hit with a You didn't. Did you have both hands on your gun? Yeah, don't do that. Not when you're using the jetpack. Um, and I think it's a super iconic thing because Joe Johnson has an absolute love affair with the concept of a jetpack. That's sort of one of his things. He adores them. Uh, perhaps the most ex- best example of this is when Joe Johnston went into more filmmaking and not concept art after the late after doing all the Star Wars concept art. He uh, eventually landed in 1991 a little film called The Rocketeer. Which is basically him sending a love letter of an entire movie revolving around a rocket pack. <laughs> yep, that's a great way to describe it. Um, and I think Mandalorian, it's such a great achievement of, it's one of the things that was the most striking 
about our our friend the Mandalorian mm-hmm. when you first saw him was he didn't have the rangefinder on his helmet and he didn't have the jetpack yeah. and any of the missile launcher and stuff on the back of it and it felt like he doesn't look like my Boba Fett action figure who is this guy he's missing something it's like he's missing a leg and it's so good that he earns it like yes. he has his like you know cobbled together armor and he builds that up and then he goes on and he, you know, gets the Beskar armor and he starts showing us all the cool tricks he does have in his combat van braces, you know, his gauntlets with all this equipment in it. And by the end, I love the fact that we're like, all right, I'm going to give you a jet pack. Are you good for that? And he's like, uh, I did it as a boy. I should be OK. It's and like riding then a bike. I think in the most. I think one of the moments that I just was so the Mandalorian's great. Everything else about Star Wars could fall into the ocean this year. And I will be happy with Star Wars between this and Fallen Order. Rise of Skywalker could be terrible and I'll be happy. And thankfully, Rise of Skywalker wasn't terrible. So I was very happy at the end of last year. But when he uses the jetpack not to hover a little bit and shoot at people or go from a skiff to a sand barge, when he uses it to go toe-to-toe combat with a flying vehicle, with a TIE fighter, it felt like that's why they wear them. <laughs> yes, there's finally a legitimate reason. Because they use this, and, and we saw a little bit of this in Rebels when they were flying in formation, but like mm-hmm. to see it in live action is a whole different kettle of fish of just how, how I mean, just think about it. You're, you know, you're flying a fighter jet. Right. You're strafing the ground, hitting these easy targets. You're only missing them because like they're teeny tiny compared to where you are. And then a guy, a person comes straight at you. Guns a blazing. You're not ready for that. That's not fair. They're supposed to be on the ground or in another vehicle similar size to you. You can't hit that. They're like a blip until they're right in front of you. (laughs) It's so it was so exciting. It was, it was just, it was new and fresh and that is what made it exciting. I mean, yeah, jetpacks are awesome. Obviously we all love the idea of these Mandalorians and their armor and their, you know, their jetpacks and their weapons, but to see a character use the jetpack and then to see a character who's using this jetpack and is so cool, but is not impervious to injury or to fault, you know, multiple times in the show, the Mandalorian almost dies. Yeah. And let alone the crazy stunt he pulls here. So not only do you have this awesome rewarding moment where he's doing something really big and cool and epic, but it's still a really big personal character moment as well. Right. It's more than just this cool thing. Well, we see everything come together. You know, he's going after the TIE fighter and when it passes him, he uses his whip cord to latch onto it, to pull him along with it. Um, it, it is such a perfect celebration of the journey we've seen this guy go on uh-huh. in just the short time we've been with him. Uh-huh. And I think the most exciting thing, and I think the reason I, I asked you if we could have this as a topic, even though it's like almost a stub in the Wikipedia, it's barely anything, <laughs> is because... It reminds me of like the first time I got into Boba Fett and the idea of he comes from this culture that does this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is that? I want to know more about that. And I think this has been just such a love letter to the fans who were like that of like, we're never going to give you all the information about the Mandalorians. You're never going to fully, truly understand. We're not going to give them (laughs) take away so much of their mystery that you don't, you know, you don't still find them intriguing and want to know more. But it's moments like, are you trained in the rising Phoenix? Is that what you call that? 
is that and like we don't know if it's the jetpack and we don't know if it's the skills and we don't have to because the armor and Dejaran know what they're talking about and that's all the people that need to know and it reminds me of how Star Wars must have felt in the 70s when they're just talking all of this stuff without ever explaining it you and I have lived in a world where there's the technical guides there's yep. the Wikipedia yep. if we really want to know we can go find out but like you know, all this stuff is just thrown out there because the characters, it's real in their world, even if we have no idea what they're talking yeah. about. That's what makes Star Wars so exciting. Absolutely. That's what makes it so thrilling is having detail is great. And having this giant, worldly, collected story, connected story is great. But mystery is also a ton of fun. Sure. And having these things that we've dreamt about or seen in animation, seeing them in live action just... So good. It really brings it home, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I love seeing characters from animation. You know, the idea of them making a jump to live action, too. This just makes me that much more confident in that. Because you can take something that's sort of a different style and make it work in both mediums is great. We got to talk more about the Mandalorian before we get to season two. We're so close. We've never been closer, Mac. It's the closest we've two ever been. months. And what's nice is that's filmed in the can and done. So it's not like all these other TV shows and movies were like, is Black Widow coming out? Is it not? Is it yeah. Disney Plus? Is it coming to theaters? Who knows? The point is Mandalorian was done. It's in the can. Yeah. What about season three? Let's not talk about Let's that. Let's not right think now. about but it. But right the point now. is season two is ready to go. <laughs> all right. So let's go wrap this up. Yeah. That's another Star Wars. We, we made one again. We That's made good. One. I can't believe we finally missed our first episode. I'm so glad you're back in town because I felt so bad. And I just like had a week of going like, I know the numbers are going down. It's all my fault. I'm it's sorry. all my fault. I'm sorry we missed one. I'm yeah. sorry we didn't plan differently to have it done before I left. Uh, but we have a... <laughs> We are going to have a wine cellar full of extra episodes is the plan going forward. We don't want that to happen again. Yeah, I don't think it'll happen again. Well, I think we'll be prepared. I think we got a little arrogant because COVID, we definitely got a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Like we had a good nest egg. And then, well, then I guess we just fully underestimated just how much going back to work was going to be exhausting. Oh, my God. Yes. Because um, we're primarily back to our public facing jobs. So, yeah, we, 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 we we're like. Uh, you feel like it? Nah, just put one of the other ones out. We'll just put one of the ones we already recorded out. Just put one of the, we'll just, we'll add new beginnings and ends. It'll be fine. <laughs> and we sort of ran out of those. So yeah, I already apologize for it. We, we had one, uh, the sound quality was abysmal and not even me being a perfectionist. You couldn't hear it. You yeah. literally, it was too soft to be heard. Yeah. Um, and so I'll revisit we the topics that we had in there. Those will, those will come back around at some point, but yeah. I'll um, get to try them this time. Yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah. So um, I'm glad we were able to get back in the studio today and put something together for you folks. Cause um, 
Yeah, we love doing this show. We've been wanting to talk about Snoke for a while. Yeah. It was a ton of fun. You know, something we didn't talk about when we did the Snoke topic that kind of came up after the fact we were talking about it is Snoke, that character, the very first voice you hear in the sequel trilogy. Oh, that's right. In the very first trailer. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I remember there's been an awakening. Have you felt it, right? We see Finn, (laughs) but Snoke's talking over him. Doesn't that feel like a million years ago? It does. It feels like all the spe- ago. like it's it's so weird to be through yet another Star Wars trilogy where we were speculating and focused and what does yeah. that mean and what does this yeah, mean? Five years old, and we got through all of it. Like, but like I remember thinking all that stuff during the prequels, and and now it's just kind of like, no, this is what Star Wars is. It's done. We we figured it out. On to more Star Wars. More Star Wars. Um, but yeah, no, I remember when that started. It was you know, there's an awakening. Have you like who is that? Everyone's like, I think it's Andy Serkis. Okay. Who's he playing? He's playing Snoke. What's a Snoke? <laughs> right? Like, um, what a what a wild time that seems so close and yet so far away of, like, the new era of Star Wars mm-hmm. being broken ground on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, we talked about, like, Mandalorian is just getting started and I think has been one of the biggest, like, injections of, like, I don't want really to call it fan service because that sounds, like, demeaning, but, like, of, hey, we're not saying that that Mandalorian is Star Wars, right? Like that this is what Star Wars was always supposed to be. But we do know one thing. It is incontroversially Star Wars. The tone and the feel. Like I have yet to meet, I've never met someone in the fandom so far who's like, like the Mandalorian just didn't ring true as Star Wars to me. Like I've seen people who are like, nah, I'm cool on Mandalorian. But like, I've never seen someone like, the Mandalorian doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be canon. It does. It, that's not what Mandalorians do. Like, yeah. it's like the one home that like, <laughs> like, listen, after Last Jedi, I know we all have strife. We have opinions about the sequel trilogy. Should have even existed. You know, should it be? How do we feel about it? Yeah, I don't know. But how about that Mando? Yeah, that Mando show's great. <laughs> Everybody's ready for everyone's, season two. Everyone's in on it. And it's and I, I'm glad we have that. And I can't wait to keep talking about more of it because I feel like the drought's almost over. Like you like you mentioned at the end of our last segment, the new season of Mandalorian's only like two months away. Um, you know, and we're starting to did the Thrawn book come out yet? September 1st. So Thrombles. Oh, but you know what? My copy of Poe Dameron Freefall just arrived today. Hey! So congratulations to uh, Alex Segura, your first Star Wars novel. That's a ton of fun. Uh, <laughs> I've read it. It's great. Um, I did have a preview copy of this one, but I didn't. we didn't plan for this at all That's uh, all good. due to everything. But I have read it. Um, I'll just tell you, you know, no spoilers, but it is more of a Zori Bliss origin story than it is a Poe Dameron origin story, I would say. I can um, see that. But that's only part of that is because a lot of Poe's story was told. You know, we get a little bit of his, like, true origin his story, first his parents and, in yeah. uh, Shattered Empire. And then in the Poe Dameron comic that there's a couple years of, that all takes place after this book. Oh, So this okay. is sort of taking place after his mother has died, after they've left the rebellion, you know, the New Republic. And he's a teenager sort of trying to strike out on his own is right. sort of where this novel takes place. Uh, and it's great. And so you get Zori Bliss and her origin story and a lot of that. You get uh, Babu Freak. Get a little bit of Babu ah. in there. Uh, you get a little Poe, a little bit of Kess Dameron. So all in all, uh, it's a great story. It's a great, you know, it's a it's a young adult novel, so it's really cheap to go in and pick up the hardcover. Sure. Um, 
it, it's not my favorite, you know, Star Wars novel in new canon, but if you like Poe, if you like Zori, definitely worth the read. But I'm just, I'm so excited because, like, we're going to have, man, we have these books starting to come back out. Mm-hmm. We've got The Mandalorian hitting. Mm-hmm. We then, uh, next year, are going to ride through the High Republic. We've got Celebration anchored out in the future again. Yes. Like, no, I just, like, it feels, like, awesome. The, the, the world is nowhere near normal yet, but it's, like, I can see it from here. I can see yes. where we're going to get back to what we are used to and, and that, that, that train of delicious star Wars content. Yes. We are almost back on the train. Uh, we're getting all this great empire 40th anniversary stuff right now in the, in the toys. Um, we are getting, let's see, we just got a dark legends, another, uh, short story compilation by George Mann, uh, follow up to missing fables from last year, which I loved. Oh yeah, and we just got through the Doctor Afra um, audiobook. We did. I just finished that uh, while I was away. Um, it's great. I mean, it's it's more Afra. So if you like Afra, you're gonna love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think it's we got a ton of fun. It's just about five and a half hours long, so it's pretty short. Yeah, um, and it's basically an enhanced retelling of Afra's introduction from the comics. Oh, okay. Uh, basically, from the beginning of Afra. Up through the uh, raid on Sunspot, I think it is prison. That's right. Sounds right. Um, I haven't read the comics in a while, but yeah, it's it's basically that part of her story. Yeah, it's like Darth Vader, uh, Volume One and Two, and I think a little bit of her solo comic yes. is what that's covering. And it's great because she's she's absolutely fan favorite and someone we we have in the list. We will get yeah. to talking about Doctor Afra. Um, and it, like I said, audiobooks, books, TV shows. Yeah. Um, we have uh, squadrons coming out in October oh as well. Gosh. Like Star Wars, <laughs> the drought between Mando season one and the, what is Star Wars? I guess we'll find out at celebration. What do you mean? There's not a celebration. We're finally kind of through that. Yeah, not that it was completely that. dead, but like without a giant movie, like it felt weird in the very beginning of 2020, even before all this, where it was just kind of like, <laughs> Where's Star Wars going? What is yeah. Star Wars? And yeah. now I think we have a very, a fairly clear right. picture of what we want to and do. And it's crazy because we should literally be a month out from the High Republic. Like right. that would have been starting next month. Which is wild. And it is wild because, you know, we now have another year to wait for a Star Wars movie. So this, the end of this year and the beginning of next year, I expect to be very interesting yes. and packed full of announcements and more TV shows and more and more, you know, we're going to get more. Like, I think we're going to kind of get the phase two of Disney's ownership of Star Wars where we're no longer chasing what, you know, we have to make the sequel trilogy because that's the next thing for Star Wars. And now it's like, no, Disney has realized they could do a lot of different things with Star Wars and it yeah. doesn't have to be exactly what the Lucas film was doing beforehand or what their ambitions were. And like, yeah, they could be, I mean, high Republic represents the fact that like the EU of old is sort of coming back of like, this is a publishing project. It's only in the comic books and, and and the, the novel publishing Mm -hmm. group. And it may never escape there, but the point is like, this is an entire initiative that doesn't need to be tied to a movie. doesn't need to be tied to a film. Not, it can be its own thing. Yes. And, uh, that's exciting. And, and again, Star Wars Squadron, apropos of nothing, like, hey, we've got, tie, we got TIE Fighter and X-Wing for you again. Why? Because some fans really wanted to do that and they got the <laughs> go-ahead. Yeah. It's exciting. It, it's an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan and there's only going to be more to come and there's one important thing to remember. We've never been closer. We have never been closer. This is, in fact, the closest we've ever been. And until then... <laughs> I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. 
And until next Wednesday, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.